Dedicated missionary service returns a dividend of eternal joy, which extends throughout mortality and into eternity. I want it absolutely clear that I declared to the world in the most straightforward language I could summon that the Book of Mormon is true. True disciples of Jesus Christ are willing to stand out, speak up, and be different. If you're not a full-time missionary with a missionary badge pinned on your coat, now is the time to paint one on your heart. God has something unimaginable in mind for you personally and the church collectively. A marvelous work and a wonder. In this church, what we know will always trump what we do not know. Missionary work is an identifying feature of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Always has it been, ever shall it be. Let us be awake and not be wary of well-doing, for we are laying the foundation of a great work, even preparing for the return of the Savior. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Mission Prep Podcast. To kick off this episode, I've got an email from a preparing sister missionary, and her name is Paulina. She wrote in to share her mission call with all of us and says that she'll be serving in the Pachuca, Mexico mission, and she starts home MTC on May 8th. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Mission calls are so exciting. And I'm going to take a wild guess and say that you'll be speaking Spanish. (laughs) I don't know if any of you have heard, but there is a saying that goes, French is for when you're speaking to your lover, German to your dog, but Spanish is a language you use when you speak with God. So there you go, Paulina, you'll be speaking the celestial language. I know it's pretty neat. And for the rest of you, don't heckle me over that. I know that you can really just insert whatever language you want in that last part, but that's just my way of telling you guys that I also served a Spanish speaking mission, so I'm a little biased. And sorry to anyone who will be serving French or German-speaking missions, I guess you're just going to have to come up with another saying because this one doesn't really work for you. Anyway, Paulina, thank you so much for sharing that with us. We would love to hear from you after you're out, so don't be shy and check in with us every once in a while just to tell us how things are going. Okay, now it's time to move on with the rest of the episode. And if you haven't listened to the last one yet, put this one on hold for a minute because the last episode is a good segue for this one. In it, we discussed a lot from Alma chapter 32 and how that relates to us gaining a testimony. If you aren't already familiar with Alma chapter 32, Alma gives us an analogy about how gaining a testimony is a lot like growing a fruit tree. It requires a lot of time, effort, and patience. He compares the seed that we plant into the ground to the word of God that we plant into our hearts. And that's what I want to talk about today. The word of God, or in other words, the scriptures. I will specifically be discussing why the scriptures are written the way they are written, how we can understand them, and why that is important. My hope is that by talking about these things, you will better understand how you can gain more from your personal study of the scriptures, which in turn would allow you to be better at helping your investigators come to know the truth of the scriptures for themselves. So the scriptures, particularly the Book of Mormon and the New Testament, are going to be your greatest tools as a missionary. They'll serve as additional witnesses to your own witness that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world and that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is His restored church. The four Gospels of the New Testament do a really good job of explaining the what of Jesus' life and ministry, 
and the Book of Mormon does a really good job of explaining the why. It is critical for you as a missionary to understand how to use both these books of scripture to share the gospel message and bring greater power and authority to your teaching. It is also critical that your investigators understand what the purpose of the Book of Mormon is and why we have it. And in order for you to successfully do these things, you must first know how to study the scriptures yourself so that you can understand them deeply. And today, I want to help you guys know how to do just that. So I recognize that probably most, if not all of you, have already had powerful experiences in the scriptures and have spent countless hours in them. If that's the case, then I still invite you to stick around because you still might learn something. And even if what I talk about today isn't news to you, remember that learning comes through repetition. Just as an athlete has to practice the same movements and routines hundreds of times to get it right, so do we when it comes to exercising our spiritual muscles. So to start off, there are two definitions that I think that we need to go over that are really helpful when it comes to scripture study. When trying to learn from the scriptures, there are different levels of understanding that we need to get to in order to glean the most that we can from them. The first level of understanding that I want to talk about here is intellectual understanding. So this simply means that you can comprehend what is being said. You can read and you understand what you are reading. This is a really important element when it comes to gospel learning, but I like to refer to it as the shallow part of studying the Word of God. An example of this type of understanding could be that as you're reading about the life of Jesus or about the journey of Nephi and his family in the wilderness, you understand what is happening. You can say that Jesus went and did this one thing and then he went and did something else and so on. Or that you know that Nephi and his family left Jerusalem, journeyed through the wilderness, and eventually ended up in the promised land. Simply put, you know the stories and you know the context. And that's a really crucial part of it all, but it's really only the first step. And this is why when you're teaching younger kids, basically all you teach them are the stories because that's all that they're going to be able to comprehend. Because as you all know, there is a deeper layer to the scriptures than just the stories. Later in life though, these stories are going to become more important to them because they will begin to mean something. They'll be able to dissect the different layers of the scriptures and find meaning behind the stories. And this is what leads us to what I like to refer to as the second level of understanding, which is, drumroll please, (laughs) spiritual understanding. This is understanding on a deeper level. This means that you have faith that there are deeper layers in the words that you are reading. It means that beyond the story, you know the meaning behind the message. And this is when the scriptures really come to life because there can be a million different important truths and lessons behind just one story. When you are seeking for spiritual understanding, you are inviting the Holy Ghost to speak to you. You're opening your mind and your heart. And this way, God can say things to you beyond what is being said on the pages. And that, my friends, is what we like to call personal revelation. Now, there's still another important part of spiritual understanding, without which it would be incomplete. Learning the meaning behind the message and receiving personal revelation is nice and all, but we miss the point if we stop the process there. We must also seek to apply, or as Nephi puts it, liken it to ourselves. The deeper meaning to the words in the scripture should come with an invitation to act or see things the way that God sees them. So now that we have these two definitions, we can begin to see why the scriptures are written the way they are written. And no guys, I'm not talking about how they are written in old, hard to understand English. I'm talking about how they are written with depth. Jesus' parables are really good examples of this. There is a reason why he used parables in many of his teachings. 
And many of the things that are written in the scriptures elsewhere follow the same pattern. Let's look at a couple of examples of this. First, the parable of the sower. I briefly mentioned this in the last episode. It reads, Behold, a sower went forth to sow, and when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them, but other fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some an hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. This is probably my favorite of Jesus' parables because it is the only one which he gives any explanation of. But why would he use a parable in the first place to teach a really important truth? Why doesn't he just say it how it is and avoid all of the confusion? There might be a couple answers for this, but one is hinted in what he says following the parable. He said, Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Again, this phrase, in a way, is another parable. Is he talking about literally hearing with our physical ears? I mean, the context to tell us that he obviously doesn't mean that. It seems like he is trying to make some kind of point, and I don't think he is telling us a story simply for the sake of telling a story. So this means that the sower, the seeds, the different types of soil, and our ears all represent something else. And figuring out what this all means requires pondering on our own part, and this seems to be what Jesus is wanting us to do. In a way, what he is saying is that those who want to have the truth revealed to them will have to want it bad enough to work for it. So we've got to do a little digging. Fortunately for us, in the case of this parable, however, Jesus makes it easy and spells it out for us. After giving the parable, he tells his apostles who still didn't get it that he was the sower, the seeds are the gospel, and the different types of soil represent different people. The scriptures are chock full of symbols, which are simply things that are meant to represent something else. Jesus used stories that talked about fields and seeds and sheep and shepherds because those were the things that the people understood in his day. In this way, he is trying to break down the gospel into terms that they understand while at the same time requiring them to dig it out themselves. He gives freely, but he won't give it to us unless we really want it. And this is the reason that we really have to search the scriptures, because they are overflowing with hidden gems that are only rewarded to the honest seeker. Let's move on to another example. I'm just going to assume here that you're all familiar with the story of Lehi's dream and the iron rod. Was God showing Lehi that he literally had to grab hold of this iron rod to get to a tree so that he could eat some fruit? Of course not. How silly would that be? Nephi knew that this couldn't be the case, but he wanted to know for himself what those things meant. So he asked God and he got his answer. He says, I, Nephi, was desirous also that I might see and hear and know of these things by the power of the Holy Ghost, which is the gift of God unto all those who diligently seek him. For he that diligently seeketh shall find, and the mysteries of God shall be unfolded unto them by the power of the Holy Ghost. It is then revealed to him that the iron rod is the word of God and that the fruit of the tree represents the love of God, which Lehi says is desirable above all other fruit. So as you guys continue to study in the scriptures, remember that it is important to achieve both levels of understanding. Even though having an intellectual understanding is in some ways inferior to having a spiritual understanding, it is still important and crucial. If you don't know the context behind a lot of the stories or messages, you will miss the meaning. 
Having an intellectual understanding means that you understand the situations and circumstances surrounding the stories and the sermons. Like, if you don't know that seeds need to be planted in good soil in order to grow and produce fruit, the parable of the sower would mean nothing to you. If you don't ponder the meaning of the story and liken it to yourself, it serves no purpose. Not only does this ring true for fictional stories like Jesus' parables, but also for real stories with real people. As you read about the people in the Book of Mormon or about Jesus and his disciples and what they did and went through, you can compare their stories to your own. You might ask yourself questions like, what do you learn from them? How are they similar to things that are happening in your own life? When you really think about these things as you are studying the scriptures, the Holy Ghost will imprint messages in your heart that words on a page alone cannot do. So let's quickly look at a real story from the scriptures and try and see what we can personally get from it. One of my favorite chapters from the Book of Mormon is 1 Nephi chapter 17. This is a chapter when Nephi and his family arrive at the seashore after traveling through the wilderness for eight years. Yeah, eight years. Imagine that. And the Lord commands Nephi to build a ship to sail across the sea to the promised land. We have to keep in mind that this journey across the sea is supposed to be a very long journey. In fact, they would be crossing whole oceans. So this can't just be any ordinary ship that Nephi has got to build. It has to be large enough for him, his wife, his now five brothers, their wives, his parents, Ishmael and his family, and Zoram, the servant of Laban. They also had to have room for all their food and provisions. Nephi mentions that they took fruit and meat and honey and seeds in abundance. So I'm assuming that they probably had a lot of all these things. Not only that, but Nephi didn't even have any tools. He had to go and make them himself from raw materials provided by the land. And of course, last of all, this ship had to be built well enough for the rest of his family to feel confident enough to climb aboard and sail who knows how far. I mean, can you imagine trying to ask the rest of your family to get on a ship that you built and sail across the ocean in it? I know Nephi is a superstar to us and everything, but I am sure that even for him, this was truly an impossible task. But he exerts his faith in God and gets to work anyway. Of course, as he begins, Laman and Lemuel doubt and ridicule him for thinking that he could do such a thing. Nephi writes, And when my brethren saw that I was about to build a ship, they began to murmur against me, saying, Our brother is a fool, for he thinketh that he can build a ship. Yea, he also thinketh that he can cross these great waters. I don't know about you guys, but I probably would have sided with Laman and Lemuel on this one. But what is Nephi's response? Quote, Do you believe that our fathers would have been led away out of the hands of the Egyptians if they had not hearkened unto the words of the Lord? Yea, do you suppose that they would have been led out of bondage if the Lord had not commanded Moses that he should lead them out of bondage? Now ye know that Moses was commanded of the Lord to do that great work. And ye know that by his word the waters of the Red Sea were divided, and they passed through on dry ground. Yea, and ye also know that Moses, by his word, according to the power of God which was in him, smote the rock, and there came forth water, that the children of Israel might quench their thirst. And I said unto them, If God had commanded me to do all things, I could do them. If he should command me that I should say unto this water, Be thou earth, it should be earth. And if I should say it, it would be done. And now, if the Lord has such great power and has wrought so many miracles among the children of men, how is it that he cannot instruct me that I should build a ship? Wow, talk about likening scripture to yourself, right? Nephi was commanded to do this impossible thing, but where does he find the faith to do it? In the scriptures. 
Remember that when Nephi got the brass plates from Laban, they contained the five books of Moses. So he knew very well the story of the deliverance of the children of Israel from Egypt. And so what does he do? He finds power in that story because he sees the similarities to himself and his situation. He learned that Moses was able to do all these impossible things that, quite frankly, didn't make any sense. But it wasn't really Moses that did them. It was God. And so he asks, if God can accomplish those impossible things through Moses, why wouldn't he be able to help me accomplish this impossible task of building a ship? Even though these are real events, we can still follow the same pattern that we do with parables and allegories. So let's look at what Nephi did with these different stories from Moses. These stories really follow a simple formula that Nephi applied to himself. Moses plus an impossible task plus faith in God equals the miracle of the Red Sea parting. So for Nephi, it meant Nephi plus the impossible task of building a ship plus faith in God equals the miracles of the ship actually being built and them making it to the promised land. So what might this mean for you and me today? What impossible task would you insert in this equation? And if God can do these amazing things for Nephi and Moses, why wouldn't he be able to do them for you too? I hope that some of these exercises have been useful to you guys and helped you understand on a deeper level just how rich the scriptures are if we approach them the right way. They truly are the word of God and I hope that you guys can continue to have meaningful experiences in the scriptures that will fortify your powerful witness of the Savior. Remember that while the scriptures in themselves are incredible, they should serve the purpose of pointing you and others to Christ. And that is why, as a missionary, they should be your greatest tool. There's no more powerful witness of Jesus Christ and his restored gospel than the Book of Mormon. So guys, search it, know it, and love it. Thank you for joining me today. You are all awesome, and God will do amazing things through you. I just know it. So get out of here and go be awesome. And I'll catch you on the next episode. Peace.